Hi, I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. When it comes to health and fitness, there are a lot of parameters. You know, we have sleep, we have nutrition, we have exercise, and we have finances. Hmm, finances. Is that really, is that really a part of the fitness spectrum? Well, I would argue that it is, right? Because, you know, if you stress about if you stress about finances, that's an accumulated stress on your body, and exercise is a stress on your body. If you have too much outside stress, whether it's from work, home, whatever, you're not going to get the response you want from the stress of exercise. On this episode of All About Fitness, I reached out to a CPA, a certified public accountant, who's actually my new CPA. I've, I've worked with CPAs for years. Uh, it's just easier, right? You know, especially now I'm really trying to promote, I'm trying to do a lot more with the podcast. I got a couple other things going on. I, I got the book out and I wanted to work with a CPA who specializes in the fitness industry. And that's what this week's uh, guest does. Shannon Weinstein is a uh, CPA. She's been a CPA for a number of years. She has a full-time job besides working in fitness, but her side job is, she has a full-time job as an accountant. Her side job is working with people like myself, with Fitness educators, master trainers, we're the people that go around, going around educating other personal trainers. We speak at conferences, doing workshops, all that yada, 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 nonsense stuff. But Shannon and I have started working with her this year, and she was asking me a number of questions. I'm going, you know, I've never really, I've never had an accountant ask me these questions. And it occurred to me, you know, Shannon, why don't we record a quick podcast? Because I'm sure my listeners would appreciate having some insight. And she's been a fan of the podcast. Uh, she's given me some good insight, and that's actually how we met. Uh, she gave me, you know, she wrote in one time asking a question about something from the podcast. So it just goes to show that, you know, reaching out to somebody, and now all of a sudden she's become uh, become a vendor. I'm her client. But before I get into the conversation, I want to read a disclaimer here, because although Shannon is a qualified professional, the information that we provide on today's podcast is meant to be educational. So Shannon is trying to educate you and it's not intended to be individual tax advice. And we make that clear a couple of times. If you need tax advice, see the appropriate professional. The potential tax saving strategies discussed on this episode are not applicable to all situations. Be sure to talk with your accountant or tax preparer if you want to implement any of the items that Shannon and I discuss on today's episode. Uh, real quick, before I get into the conversation with Shannon, Keep an eye out because I am very, very close to launching my first workout program. It's going to be a 10, uh, sorry, a 12-week. It's going to be a 12-week dumbbell strength training program. So especially, I'm recording this in March of 2020. There's a lot of stuff going on on COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus. If you are, uh, if you want to try to isolate and not go out in public as much, which might be understandable, working out at home is a great option. My 12-week workout program is a dumbbell program. It's going to include dumbbell strength training, mobility training, and hit interval training solutions as well. Keep an eye out for that. It's going to be released soon. So just you know, again, I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not going to be taking advertisements on all about fitness. I'm not putting it behind a paywall. Instead, if you want to support the podcast, you got two options. One, buy some content from me, buy a workout, buy a copy of Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. Or two, you know, if you want to, uh, if you if you want to support the podcast, do me a favor and give me a quick review. However you listen to it, Spotify, iTunes, however you consume the podcast, just take a moment, reach down. Give us a five-star rating and let others know the benefit of listening to All About Fitness. Now we're going to have a conversation with Shannon Weinstein, a certified public accountant, on what you can do to enhance your financial fitness this tax season. I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness Podcast. 
Today, I'm going to take a slightly different track, and I'm going to talk about your financial fitness, not just your health and wellness fitness, with Ms. Shannon Weinstein. Shannon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Pete. How are you? I am doing well. What's the name of your company? Well, first of all, let's give us give the listeners a little bit of a background about, because you're a, you're a CPA, correct? Yes, I am. And what exactly does a CPA do? I know a lot of people will say, you know, I need an accountant, you know, but I think sometimes, I know I've made this confusion, so... Let me, let me restate that. I've sometimes gotten confused between a financial advisor and a CPA. <laughs> what does a CPA do and how is that different from another financial professional? Yeah, definitely. I'm so happy you asked this question because this is something we have to clarify a lot. And um, a CPA is a certified public accountant. And what I do is I help folks with accounting and tax-related items for their businesses or their individual um tax filings. So versus a um, investment professional or, or a certified financial planner or financial advisor, they focus more on how to build wealth within your portfolio of investments, how to invest in your future retirement, and how to make the optimal decisions to make sure you've got a financially secure future. We're not that different in our goals, but I think that our expertise is slightly different, much like two different types of doctors into different disciplines. Well, that's really helpful. Now, can I? Are are CPAs able to be a financial advisor or a certified financial planner? Um, so they they can be. Um, we have a lot of disciplines that are in common, and there are folks who have passed the CPA exam and the CFP exam. One thing to check on if you're working with a professional is their experience and credentials, because there are folks that definitely do both. Um, I'm probably more moving the needle towards CPA, tax and accounting, and that's my expertise. But uh, there are definitely some professionals that can overlap both. And uh, it's, it's very common to be good at both. If, if you're interested in working with individuals and families, it, it's very, very common Okay, well, that, and since you're a CPA and, and it's coming up on tax season, and that's why I wanted to speak with you. And for the for the interest of listeners, I'm sure I'll say this in the, in the introduction. I mean, you are my you know, full disclosure. You are the accountant I'm working with now to help me keep uh, my ducks in a row and make sure I don't run afoul of the IRS. And so I just want to want to put that out there. But what's the name of your company, and what's your specific area of specialty? So my company is called Fit Financial Solutions. Uh, it looks like Financial Solutions, but with a T, so Fit. Uh, and I am focused on helping mostly entrepreneurs and small business owners optimize their business finances and taxes so that they can make more income and thus a bigger impact. And I work a lot with folks in the fitness industry, so fitness professionals, master trainers, educators, wellness, nutrition, you name it. So folks with that passion, I tend to gravita- gravitate towards because I am a fitness professional myself as well. All right, and I just want to put that so listeners, and listeners, you don't have to be working in the fitness industry to get the advice of a CPA, and that's exactly why I want to speak with Shannon. So let's go into this. Let's look at tax season. What, in your experience, just of, of everybody, all general consumers here, all, all individuals, what are two or three of the most common mistakes when, when it comes to people doing their personal taxes? I mean, my number one mistake, in my opinion, would be not really reading your return, Um, and not really just kind of ignoring the subject of taxes and finances and thinking you can outsource everything to your accountant. And what do you mean by that? Do people not really pay attention to what their expenses are or they not pay attention to individual items? 
Uh, that, but also when you get your return back from your accountant, let's say you file, so you have someone who files your taxes for you, you give them all your documentation and, you know, they come back to you and here's your return. Here's what you're going to get in a refund or what you're going to owe. And, um, you take that, you write your check or you wait for your deposit and that's it. Um, a lot of folks will just sign the return the accountant gives them and essentially blindly trust their expertise. But in reality, you are signing that return that states that everything in there to the best of your knowledge is true. And if there's something in there that looks odd or maybe based on an assumption made by your tax preparer that may not be true, you know, you would still be liable for the taxes and penalties excuse me, penalties associated with, with something like that being off. So I think folks have to understand that they have a core responsibility to, on a fundamental level, understand what their tax return is saying. Okay, I'm, I'm a little silent right now because I might be guilty of some of that in the past. Yeah, I kind of look at that, but I look at that as I know the information I give to my, my previous tax preparer, and I, you know, I go you know, remember the questions they ask, and so I always assume that they are working with what I've with what I've told them it sounds like this need this it's really important for for an individual filer to really do the due diligence to make sure that everything is above board what kind of penalties could accrue and and how bad is it if somebody you know turns in a, a false or misleading return well the the penalty amount can obviously vary based on you know how much you're possibly underreporting but if it's discovered that you're underreporting income you're not only going to be paying taxes on the income that you didn't report but they can impose penalties um, on top of that which vary based on you know what exactly it, it constitutes but the the core thing to remember is you don't have to you don't have to be a tax expert right? You don't have to be able to read the return up and down and understand every little thing. But what you should do is take a good hard look at it because your tax return is essentially a story of how your money spent the last year. Hmm. <laughs> so you want to read that story and understand whether it is an accurate reflection of what you believe was true. And if there's anything that differs that you bring that up with your accountant and have a good discussion around it, for example, all of my clients, we have kind of an outbrief where we walk through the return and I ask if anything seems unusual, if these amounts seem off, um, and I kind of explained it back to them on what this is saying. And in general, they do appreciate that because I think that, you know, it's really important to just have a good understanding of what exactly you are, what story you're telling to the IRS about what's going on with your money. Well, that's I like that advice. I like that insight, and I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you. And one thing that just popped up here, and it wasn't even on my list of questions, is when is it necessary to file? Like, who should file a 1040EZ versus the deductions, the more the more laborious form that requires a little bit more effort? What what are the difference between the two, and what type of and and, and why do they exist? So your your 1040 uh, is a personal tax return, right? So your 1040, and actually the 1040EZ is now gone. Um, the 1040 personal return is your personal tax return for you as an individual. And that's probably the most common tax return we think of because we've been filing that 
you know, ever since we were supposed to be filing. But there are additional schedules that go on top of the 1040 based on what types of activities you're participating in during the year. So, for example, if you have a business, um, it may be network marketing, it may be driving Uber, it may be selling on Etsy, it could be anything. It could be garage selling, it could be anything. If you're running a legitimate business by um acquiring and selling products or services, then you would also be preparing what's called a Schedule C, uh, which shows your business income and expenses associated with that. Okay, and that's what you and I will be working on. And what is, now how about for individuals that, that work on, that work for an employer, what do, what do people need to do? I mean, they, they should be, they should have received their W-2s by now. What's involved with filing, with, with filing a, a return for somebody who just may work for one employer, like a large organization, like a large company or a state entity. Right. And and when you have uh, an employer who gives you a W-2 form at the end of the year, which is by January 31st. So if you're receiving W-2 forms, those are super simple and they just get added into your form 1040 personal taxes as your salaries and wages. And based on how you prepared your paperwork when you first joined the company, they're all also withholding taxes for you ahead of time so that you're paying throughout the year your total tax bill. And that kind of increases your chances of a refund if you're paying taxes throughout the year steadily and you're withholding at a high rate because it means that you're covering your tax bill throughout the whole year as opposed to waiting until the end of the year. As opposed to, let's say, if you have a Schedule C and you're just making money but not paying taxes as you go, you might be hit with a bigger bill because if you're not paying throughout the year, you're going to have to play catch up. Yeah, let me now let's stay here for a second for people that that work for an employer because for years I worked for a large health club company. I've worked for large health club companies and I've worked for a certification organization. And when you work for a large health club company, and you're responsible for buying music and other items that the employer doesn't reimburse. I was under the impression, or my former accountant would explain to me there are certain business-related deductions. And so let me ask you this question for listeners who may not be in fitness. Are there What kind of deductions are out there? What kind of are, are, are standard or common deductions are out there that people might be able to use, say, if they work in sales or they work in, in an office for a large organization? All right. So as we dive into that, Pete, I want to clarify kind of two things here. One is what is a deduction and what are the different types of deductions or categories of deductions? And then I'll dive straight into that. Question. That's part. That's so, exactly why I'm asking because people might, people not, might not realize that the reason why I want, want to ask this, Shannon, is there might be people out there that are going, wait a minute, I can deduct that or I didn't know I could deduct that. And so I really want right. to kind of be able to, to, you know, educate that on that a little bit. And then to help them understand why it might be more beneficial to use a CPA as opposed to just going to some storefront tax preparer. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Absolutely. So let's start with what it really is. What do we mean by a tax deduction? Because you've probably heard the phrase that, oh, this is great. I can write it off, right? You've heard of write-offs. You've heard of deductions. Um, it's deductible. It's a great kind of selling point when you're looking to buy something. And sometimes it's the justification in the back of our head for buying something a little nicer than we would buy otherwise if it's a deductible item. So a tax deduction just means that it reduces the taxable income on which your tax is calculated. So if you're making a certain amount of money, it just brings that money down that income level down, when you go to calculate your taxes, you're working off of a smaller number of income. 
So that so, is really what a dedu- deduction is. Yep. Well, and let's let's use this example and have a nice round number. Say I'm making a hundred thousand dollars a year for a large organization, and <clears throat> as part of that, my job responsibility is I run on the way home from the office. I might run out of my way and make a bank deposit. You know, would I be able to deduct if I do other deductions like a mortgage interest deduction? Would I be able to deduct the mileage from that if the employer doesn't doesn't pay me? I mean, what type of deductions can can somebody look at or, or think about in the course of their day to day normal life or normal business if they're if they're a W two employee? All right. So if they're a W two employee, um, when it comes to deductions, first of all, if you're a W two employee, you do not take business deductions. Okay. So there's there's kind of two different approaches here. So that's what I was going to get into next with the two Perfect. types of deductions. So if you're an individual, whether you're in business or not, there are these things called itemized deductions. And you can find those on the Schedule A of your return. That includes out-of-pocket medical expenses, um, taxes that you've paid, charitable contributions. You guys might be aware that you know if you donate to charity, you get a tax deduction, right? So those are some great, you know, uh, basic itemized deductions that you can add up. And what's great is as, I mean, the government basically gives you right up front off of your income, they give you what's called the standard deduction. And that's, uh, for an individual in 2019, that's $12,200, I think it is, or $12,400. Um, and you're able to, take that straight off of your income and then you add in any other deductions over and above that from your itemized deductions. So you're either taking a standard deduction or your itemized deductions if they're greater than that standard amount. So uh, so that's what you have a choice between as an individual on the front part of your Schedule A, right? So that's one type of deduction we talk about. And then the other type of deduction is your Schedule C business expense deductions, which are what we're talking about, Pete, with um, if you're a fitness professional, right, your music, your certifications, travel, uh, CEUs, things like that. Now, let me ask, because there are other industries that need that, that have CEU requirements, that's continuing education unit requirements like attorneys, um, medical professionals, what are, you know, let's talk about that for a second, because that's a huge thing I know in the fitness industry, but if you could, Shannon, just talk generally about what continuing education is and what, uh, and and whether or not that's a deductible, uh, deductible expense. Yeah. Continuing education is actually one of the first and foremost things that I ask my fitness professional clients if they have to be able to deduct, because it's one of the things that I find most connects to the, their ability to grow their business and is the easiest to identify as a business expense because it, it directly connects to their performance in their business and, and as a professional. So continuing education is something that's required to maintain certifications and licenses in your field of practice. For example, even for myself as a CPA, I have to maintain continuing education every two years. So not only did I pass a giant exam about 10 years ago, but I also have to do additional 80 hours every two years to maintain that license that I acquired. So you have to stay up to date on all the newest technology, regulations, rules, and things that apply to your clients so that you can serve them the best way possible. And, th- and that's common across multiple fields, including fitness. 
And, and so, what type of what type of expenses are included in in the CEU expenses? Like, what could people what could people deduct? And also importantly, what could people not deduct? Uh, so, I would say the most common ones that I see that are deductible are your online courses that you might take. So, and then certification trainings that you're using. So, if you want to go get licensed in a new format or modality, that is a great way of adding some more deductions to your. Um, finances and yeah, just any type of education. Um, I also look at, uh, subscriptions to industry magazines and periodicals. If you have anything like that, that costs money, you can also deduct that as well because that is improving your ability to serve your clientele. Uh, anything that is really developing you professionally is, is really easy to argue deductibility on as long as it's in your field of practice. Interesting. Now, what type of expenses would not be eligible? Um, under continuing education? Yeah. Like, I mean, I just, I just want to make sure because there might be people who go, oh, I'm going to go take that workshop in Hawaii or I'm going to go <laughs> somewhere else. I mean, <laughs> you know, so I mean, just want to help people, you know, realize of what they, you know, we talk about what they can do. It might be helpful to talk about what they can't do. Mm-hmm. My, my argument would be if it relates to what your product or service offering is, it's quite easy to argue it's deductible. If it's completely unrelated, then I would say it's not deductible. So if you want to go take a basket weaving workshop in Honolulu, <laughs> more power to you, but uh, it's really hard to connect back to your business. It has to have a clear connection back to you investing that time and um, bringing that knowledge back to your business to add value. Interesting. Okay, cool. Now let's let's look at another let's look at another type of expense. You said something about medical. Um, you said uh, something about medical expenses. What type of medical expenses can be deductible? So that's your out-of-pocket medical expenses that you would um, be deducting as part of your itemized deductions. Uh, that can include anything that you have to pay out of pocket that, I mean, prescriptions, co-pays, things like that, um, preventive care, um, anything that's a qualifying medical expense under the rules. So you can deduct visits to other specialists. Um, but if you are reimbursed for these medical expenses by either your insurance company or your employer, they can't be deducted. So they have to be out of pocket paid by you. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. I know that's. I mean, that's good to know. So we can add up to that. Now, what are the type of what are the type of deductions? I mean, what are common mistakes that people make in the deduction area? Uh, common mistakes that I see in the deduction area are mostly around the business expenses, and I mostly see um, folks kind of pushing the boundaries on what they can deduct. Um, in terms of, there's really two things that I see that are most predominant. One is. Uh, deducting costs that are really not ordinary and necessary, which are the criteria for them to be deductible. And then the other thing that I see is where you have deductible expenses that could be blended. And what I mean is if you're spending money on something that is a portion personal and a portion business related, when they try to deduct the entire hundred percent as business, it can be difficult to do that. So Starting with that one, uh, what I commonly see are folks trying to deduct, for example, their entire cell phone bill for the hmm. whole year and okay. calling it a business expense. And my my favorite thing to say back to that is, well, if you're deducting 100% of your cell phone for business, what are you calling your mother with? Interesting. 
you know, and, and, and what, can people deduct? But if they use their cell phone for business, because one of the things I think people get might do that is that they they use their phone what to answer work emails to make work calls yeah. after hours. Are, are, is that deductible, and, and how much? Yeah, it's deductible up to the portion you use for business, which you'd have to reasonably be able to estimate and and discuss that with your accountant. So for some of my folks, they're deducting anywhere between 20 and 80%. It just depends on you know, how much you use the phone and what you're using it for. And uh, it, it really is case-by-case case basis. But uh, I establish a level of comfort with my clients after talking with them about you know, how they use their phone for their business and figure out a reasonable estimate if they can't figure it out. Because, I mean, fortunately, we have amazing technology at our fingertips, but unfortunately, it's not as easy to measure as it was back in the days where we had minutes, if you remember those, Pete. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and you know, because you can't do that anyway. So, what do you what do you think? What do you think an accurate or what do you think a reasonable uh, percentage is for for most people? It really depends. It would be really hard to narrow down, but it, it can really vary. Um, and what I would also do is just keep track, maybe for a week or a month, and then extrapolate that throughout the year for a typical week to figure out how much am I really using this for business versus personal. And you could probably get a good estimate for yourself, but it really is going to vary person by person. Interesting. Now, what else should people be aware of? Let's talk. Well, let me ask you this. On my notes here, I have to talk about retirement. Looking at retirement, I know some retirement, you know, some people might have an IRA. Some people might have a Roth IRA. Others might have a 401k. Yet others, uh, this is not a good thing, and this might be covered in a later podcast, might not be saving for retirement at all. What retirement uh, programs are are eligible for tax deductions, and why is that a, why is that a benefit? Right. So we have, I mean, two primary types of, let's say, individual retirement accounts or IRAs. We have traditional IRAs and we have Roth IRAs. And contributions that you make to a traditional IRA are made before you pay taxes. So they're not taxed on the way in, um, meaning they are tax deductible. So they are not taxed as you're contributing to your retirement. What they will be taxed on is at the point that you withdraw the money from that retirement account, that's where the taxes will be applied. Um, If you have a Roth IRA, your contributions to that Roth IRA are, are made after taxes. So you've already been taxed on that income. So if you're contributing to a Roth IRA, you're, you've already paid taxes on that income. So there are some uh, tax advantage ways that you can contribute to your retirement that way. And, and now, you know, I understand not a, you're not a, a you're not an, a retirement professional or an investment professional. But one thing I've always looked at or made the argument of is that like right now I do I do personally traditional IRA because I would, would have rather have the deduction as opposed to a Roth IRA when I'll be earning less money when I retire. Do you have an opinion on that, or is that something that that I'm completely wrong on? Well, really what you're doing when you choose the type of retirement account that's right for you is you're kind of betting on your future. (laughs) Um, You're going to want to see if you plan to make more money at the time that you're pulling out the money or if you're planning on on having more income at the point that you're contributing. That will be the major factor in considering whether – 
which one you'd like to contribute to. I mean, I advise clients all the time to have a little bit of both if they have the choice, because then that kind of spreads out the burden so that you're not taxed on all of it at once when you're contributing or you're withdrawing. And that's just personal preference and something that I, I kind of believe in the variety, but it really is up to working with a financial planner for your particular situation to find what works for you. And that's a, that's an appropriate that, that's an appropriate response. Now, one of the things I want to get to, and I referenced this earlier, what what is the, are there any benefits to going to these uh, storefront tax preparers, or would people be better off, better served by going into um, into working directly with a CPA like yourself? So I uh, I mean, of course, I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we understand that, but. I, so here's how I, this is how I would think of it for those who are listening and and really aren't sure what the difference is between, you know, different tax preparers and, you know, a qualified tax preparer is a qualified tax preparer. Don't be fooled either by having someone with three letters after their name. If they're a CPA, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a tax specialist. So you want to be wary of that. Now, if you're looking at possibly going to a storefront thinking, well, I'll just go to, you know, this company and go get my taxes done. It seems very simple and straightforward. You can absolutely do that. There's also fantastic software products out there for you to do it on your own. Now, I compare this to the the health industry all the time. So if you have an ailment that's going on and you need to get it addressed, you have some choices here to you know, have a primary care physician, right, that knows your history, knows your your uh vitals, knows everything, got your blood work taken, right? Knows everything about you and and can can see you. You also have the choice to go to, let's say, the Minute Clinic over at the local pharmacy and get checked out. It really depends on what your problem is, right? So what I would advise is understanding when the when to call the right professional based on what you're dealing with in your financial situation. Because sometimes it really is as simple as getting your taxes prepared by a qualified professional over in a storefront or doing it yourself. If you just have W-2s and a very straightforward tax return, it's easy to do that and it's quite cost effective. So there is nothing wrong with going to see one of those professionals. However, if you're dealing with a more complicated situation, let's say you have multiple businesses or you have real estate and you're renting it, or you have uh, you know, various assets to depreciate, things like that, that's where it gets really complicated and you're going to want to hire the right professional that can help you year over year and be consistent because you're not always going to get the same person if you go back to that storefront year over year. And what is, um, you know, and so what, so, so to wrap it up, start wrapping it up here, what are some things that people can start doing to prepare for tax season to make sure they're fiscally fit as they enter, enter this year's tax season? So one thing I always advise is to have a place to put all of the documents that you receive because you're going to get a lot of stuff in the mail and you probably already have, uh, if you're looking at this tax season, you're going to get a lot of documents in the mail and you're going to want to give those to your accountant. And I, we actually keep, my husband and I keep a folder right in the dining room table where if we have our own, because we file jointly, we get all our own tax information and documents and we even get them at different addresses. My husband has a business address where he gets a lot of his paperwork. So we have a central folder right there on the, the kitchen counter or dining room table where we plop all of our documentation and keep it in one place. 
We also print off all of our emails that we got throughout the year. If you make charitable donations, let's say online, because I do a lot of um, work with friends who do Facebook fundraisers. So I have a lot of e-receipts. So I print all those off and put them in the folder. So when it comes time to work on our taxes, everything is in one place and it's all complete. And that is the easiest thing for a professional to pick up and work on. Uh, no, that's good advice. And what else should people pay attention to as as we get ready, as we're as we're getting into this and getting ready to to pay the man, if if you will. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I would advise is take a look at your tax return from the past year. So not only do I advise reviewing your return before it's filed, but I re- I advise reviewing the past year's return before you meet with your accountant because uh, they're going to ask you if anything changed this year, and if you say, no, nothing changed. I don't think I remember anything. And it turns out something big did change. I mean, that can result in a higher fee for the accountant and uh, a surprise at the last minute that they have to do a lot more work. So you really want to be completely transparent with your accountant and upfront and have a really good dialogue on what happened this year. And if there's anything they need to be made aware of in terms of how long your return is going to take. Because if something drastically changed, they have to be able to plan for that. And you want to be able to get your refund back as soon as possible. So I would just say keep that communication really upfront uh, and honest and transparent. And ideally, if you're meeting with your accountant more than once per tax season, then that should already be you know out in the open and, and being discussed well before you have to meet with them to file the return. Great. Now, if people want, to, if people have more questions, or they want to retain. Are accountants limited to work in a specific state, or can accountants work with anybody around the country? I, I never thought about asking that. I wonder if that's a, and especially since uh, we live in different states, and I'm starting to work with you. With you. <laughs> so yes, um, so CPAs can actually work with people in in other states. There's just a, the limitation on, let's say, I have a. So me personally, I have a Massachusetts and a Connecticut license. But and I'm able to practice in those states, but I can work with clients. I work with them virtually all over the country. So it really uh, it really impacts you if you are stationed in different states. So I would just need to have a license in California, let's say, if I wanted to build a practice there. But uh, I can work with clients all over the country virtually. There's really not much of a restriction there. Um, it really depends on the state. So you just have to make sure that your state has mobility uh, requirements met, which I do every time I take on a new client. Awesome. Well, that's great to know. And so Shannon, thank you very much. And for listeners, I'll have information for Shannon's company, Financial Solutions, down below the show notes in case you want to contact her with any questions you might have as we enter into uh, this tax season. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Pete. You can believe we had a little follow-up offline after that conversation. One or two things, I'm like, uh, what, what, really? Um, you know, she's not helping me with my 2019 taxes. Shannon uh, was somebody I brought on this year, 2020, going forward to kind of help me um, get my stuff in order again as I'm trying to do more business through All About Fitness and make this my primary business, my primary revenue stream by selling workouts, which you can keep an eye out for coming soon. I needed a little help to put that structure in place. If you want to support the podcast, again, do me a favor. Give me a rating on however you consume it, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, or pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts, the Science of Exercise Made Simple. In Smarter Workouts, you get great workouts. I divide it up into three chapters, metabolic conditioning, mobility training, and core strength. And In reality, any strength training is core strength. 
but each chapter covers seven pieces of equipment and what you can do, workouts you can do using only one piece of equipment. So if you're working, looking for great workout solutions, I'll say that again. If you're looking for great workout solutions at home, in the gym, or on the road, pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts and do it from the publisher because that'll help support the podcast. And as always, thanks for stopping by. I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.